Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Well, again, welcome to our online on-demand shared service here at Missio Day Chicago. I'm so grateful that you would come and, and join us. And I was just reminded this week that uh, there's a deeper longing within us uh, for, uh, for more fullness in the future, for us to be together in, in, a, in a freedom uh, of fellowship. And as insufficient as this may feel, I was just pressed upon by the goodness and graciousness of God that when we gather even in this way, uh, that he manifests his presence amongst us. And so my, my heart and hope uh, for today is that you would encounter the living God as we worship him together, as we set our minds and our hearts upon uh, his kingdom and, and his way uh, manifest amongst us in, in our day and in our time. Uh, this morning or afternoon or evening, depending on where you are, we are launching into a new uh, series in a season that is one of longing. At this point in winter, most of us start to feel a longing for rebirth. Outside of our windows, we see the cold and snowy days that are stretching out before us, the gray skies, the bare trees that seem like they last forever. And where winter is lovely and the appeal of the, the freshly fallen white snow is, is great in the moment, I believe that we, after a bit, long for signs of spring. We long for the green to, to shoot up from uh, God's good earth. And it's a fitting image for us uh, in this season in the church calendar, which is known as Lent. Now, Lent is a period of time that's devoted to preparation and reflection that leads up to Easter Sunday. And just as with our winter season, where we cannot fast forward to spring flowers, so too in the life of the church, we get to uh, uh, we get to look towards Easter Sunday with a, 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 just this kind of sense of experience um, uh, of the work of God through Christ Jesus. And we long for that celebration. We long for that hope and we long for that renewal and all that Easter Sunday represents, but we can't fast forward. We don't want to miss the beautiful formative work that happens in the anticipation preparation through this season of Lent. So just like with Advent beginning in the dark, so too the season of Lent. It begins uh, in, 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 a, in a space where we are looking towards the light and every day gets just a little bit, a little bit brighter. So this series that we are starting today is entitled Longing for Rebirth. And what we're going to do is follow a similar pathway of the process of baptismal rebirth. For that pattern mimics not only um, the, the death and resurrection of Christ, but the death and rebirth of every single follower of Jesus. So we will acknowledge our need for Christ in this series. We will confess our shortcomings. We will turn back to God. We will submerge into symbolic death, and we will be raised into new life as we journey through this season of Lent. Now, for this series, uh, as with other series, what we've done is prepared and printed a resource guide for you. And each of your congregational staff or congregational leads will have information sent to you this, this week for you to pick that guide up or for them to drop it off uh, for you. And this guide's a little bit different. You know, in the past, we've done um, small group discussion questions. We've done daily devotionals. 
for this series, each week has just three specific focus areas. The first one is formation. I mean, so many of us participate in these practices like Lent, and often we, uh, we don't ask the deeper questions. Why is it that Jesus lived uh, amongst us for, for 30 years? Why is it that, that Jesus uh, had to die? Why is it that, uh, that the resurrection is such a significant part within the Christian faith? All those questions. So the first focus area will be on formation. We'll engage in the topic that was preached on that particular Sunday. We'll also go a little bit deeper into theological and doctrinal questions pertaining to um, the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The second part is more reflection-oriented and reflecting on beauty. So there will be art, there will be poetry, there will be psalms, there will be a place for you to meditate on the word of the Lord, and then lastly, a place for intercession. Uh, more than ever before that we would labor for one another in prayer, uh, not only for our community, but also for our city. Now, in connection, or in addition to that guide, we've also printed uh, the Gospel of John. So we're going to journey through John throughout this whole series, and we have that in the New Living Translation that will accompany uh, the resource guide and even a bookmark uh, that has a reading plan so that as we're journeying through Lent, we can read through the entirety of the Gospel of John. Well, this morning, I'm going to be preaching on uh, the first part of this kind of uh, process of baptismal rebirth, and that's the invitation. Uh, or uh, a way of framing it is awareness, awareness of light and life. The beginning of the Gospel of John says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. It also says that the Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. Much later in the Gospel of John, uh, the purpose is, is written, where John says, uh, the reason why this, this book was written is so that you would continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life by the power of his name. So Jesus is both light and life. And for all who believe in him as the Messiah, the Son of God, will not only have life but power in his name. Now, as we head towards Resurrection Sunday, I believe that the uh, experience of life can fall short of what Jesus promised in John 7, and that would be a life that is abundant, torrents of living, of living water. We can feel more of a trickle than uh, a torrent, so to speak. And the degree of complacency and apathy and indifference that surrounds the Christian life is not only experienced, but I would say is palpable. Now, what I've experienced to be true is that the world system that we live in is designed in such a way to squeeze out every bit of time, every ounce of energy that is devoted to a life with God and a life, life in God. His pastor and, and author Bob Sorge, in reference to the intimacy with God, he wrote this, I know what it's like to live below what the Christian walk could be, and yet I feel almost powerless to change anything. I've watched myself return persistently to sources which are no source at all. I, I felt the, the constant pull within the world that we live in, a pull away from the source and a frantic search for it in a, in a million different ways, a million different uh, shattering pictures of what should be and what is, a million different pursuits of false covenant masters, a million different longings. Now, this series is entitled Longing for Rebirth, and that's because 
We are made in the image of God. And as much as we uh, experience a deficit in life, we were made in the image of God, and as such, deeply embedded with us is a desire and a longing uh, for, for what we are created for and who we are created to be. So today I want to begin with an awareness of the light and life, the very word of God. And I'm going to be uh, working through this story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in John chapter 4. So I'm going to read a few verses, I'll pray, and then we'll continue on. The word says this, that Jesus left Judea and he returned to Galilee and he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from a long walk, so he sat wearily beside the well about noon. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now, he was alone at that time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, in all of our longings, in this very moment, in all of the deficits and all of the uh, unsatisfactory ways in which we even pursue you or one another, we are grateful that you are here, that you are with us, uh, that you have called us to yourself and, and to yourself one another. And so I pray that you'd manifest your presence to us this, uh, this day and that you'd be glorified amongst us. In your name we pray this in all things, amen. Now, the verse that immediately follows what I just read, it says that the woman was surprised. She was surprised. Not only would Jesus' disciples be surprised and, and constantly were at his behavior, the woman was surprised, and the first century uh, readers of this sacred text would be surprised. Because this scripture and passage is odd, it's wrong, it's out of place, it should not be the case. First century Jews regarded Samaritans as the worst kind of outcast, and here this coming, up-and-coming Messiah is casually sitting by himself asking things of this particular person. Now, Samaria is a name given to the land between Galilee in the north, Judea in the south, and if Jesus and his followers were, were passing the most natural route, they would go through Samaria. But not only were the Samaritans and Jews at odds with one another and, and considered really the, just the worst kind of outcast in the world, but on that road, it was a, a fear and a threat of violence. Many pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem would be, would be robbed. And so there was this fear of, of violence as well. And so rather than going that way, many would just go down the Jordan Valley to Jericho and then up a hill to Jerusalem. We know that that's true because Elsewhere in scripture, actually earlier than this, Jesus did that very same route, but that's not what he did here. Jesus goes north through Samaria. I, I see Jesus as, as intent, of, even in his weariness, to have this encounter uh, with this particular woman. So the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, why are you asking me for a drink? Why are you asking me for a drink? First, you're a, a man and a devout Jew at that. You are, are this leader of a movement of Israel back to God. Why would you ask me for, uh, for water? Jesus' own disciples would say uh, that an interaction with this woman would be uh, too great 
avoid her. The risk is too great. Risk of impurity, risk of gossip, risk of ultimately being drawn into immorality. It would be better if you left this one alone. Why are you asking me for a drink? Not only is it the male-female dynamic, but also here that she's a Samaritan. Ever since the Jewish exiles returned from Babylon, and we just had a whole series about this time, ever since they did that, the, uh, the Jews come back and they find that in their ancient territory, in the central section, a group of these Samaritans claimed to be the true descendants of Abraham, and they opposed the Jewish exile return. So since that day, there was conflict between, fierce conflict between Jewish exiles and the Samaritans. So you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? In addition to this, the woman is clearly a person in isolation. What we know from the story is that she has been married five times. The person she is currently living with is not her husband. In a, an honor and shame culture, she's even an outcast amongst her own people. She's coming to draw water in isolation at noontime so that she would not bump up to uh, the other women in the village. I mean, water was typically drawn in the morning when it was cool or in the late afternoon when it was cooler and needed, not during the noontime in the weary parts of the day. But that's when she goes. And so she's surprised because she's supposed to be alone. She's supposed to be isolated from the rest of the group. So why are you asking me for a drink? And I think this is important for us to know of Jesus in our own life and in the life of the scripture. And that is with him, you can always expect the unexpected. You can always see him turn the paradigm uh, that you bring to the table, whether that's religious or whether that's irreligious. He flips it on its head. And Jesus says this in verse 10, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, and who you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. If you only knew the gift that was before you, if you only could see who was offering it to you, you would ask, and I would freely, freely give the gift. Now, there's some spin happening here. I want to press in on this for just a minute, but you can see her ask very natural, on-the-ground questions. Well, okay, well, where, is, where do you get this, this everlasting living water? That sounds great. But how is it better than something that we have drawn from for generations? How is your water that you're offering better than that? And, and you, even you are asking me for a drink. You don't have a pail. You don't have a rope. What is it that you are, that you are saying? Now, Jesus in verse 13 says, anyone who drinks of the water that I will provide, or rather, anyone who drinks of the water from Jacob's well will grow thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. Now, I find interesting about Jesus all the time, and it's the same way with, with us today, is people are constantly misunderstanding what Jesus says. And you see this in the Gospels. Jesus is using pictures and then has to describe and explain the pictures to his own disciples. People are coming and he's explaining, and there are things that will not make sense without the living water, without the resurrection. I mean, you think about that, like spending years with Jesus, post-resurrection understanding sets in and a revolution uh, that would change the course of the world begins in the early church. There are things cannot be understood without proximity to the living well, to the living water. N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, says this, Jesus is talking on a heavenly level, but people are listening on an earthly level. 
But because the one God created both heaven and earth and because the point of Jesus' work is precisely to bring life of heaven to bear on earth, these misunderstandings, in a sense, are quite natural. So Jesus is, is asking for a drink. He tells the woman that should be, have asking, or should be asking of this drink from, from him, the living water. Jesus is referring to the new life that is offered freely to anyone this kind of come as you are, um, just posture of Jesus across the board in radical ways. No matter what is your gender, geography, ethnicity, moral background, Jesus says that this new life, if you ask of me, I will freely give it to you. Please, sir, the woman says, give me this water, then I won't have to come here in the heat of the day. Give me this water and then I can, I can isolate even more, so to speak. Well, Jesus says, go get your husband. She responds, I don't, I don't have a husband. And that's that prophetic moment where he says, of course, you, you've had five and the one you're living with right now is it, you're not married to. See, here, here's the thing. And I just want to just drive this home for a second, is that Jesus has the living water and freely offers it. But when you start to sup on that water, when you start to drink from that well, it changes everything in your life. This invitation that was offered from Jesus to this woman is met immediately with cultural hurdles. And her reaction is the classic example of the art of spin. Whenever a sore spot is touched, people at once will start to talk about something else. And often, the best subject for distracting attention from morality is religion. Look how she jumps in. And, and if you don't do the work of just really sitting in this text, it, it's a little weird uh, that she goes here. But she says, well, you must be a prophet. So tell me, Jews insist that the best place to worship is Jerusalem. We insist the best place to worship is this mountain right here. It can't be both. Which one is it? Essentially, she is saying, maybe nobody knows the proper place to worship. Maybe nothing is certain. Maybe morality that we are taught, both of us, is equally uncertain. Will we ever know? I can just see her trying to distance herself from Jesus, but Jesus is constantly drawing her in, constantly leading her in the midst of some reluctancy to the living water. I was uh, talking with a friend uh, about this passage of scripture this last week. And, uh, and she had said that what was so striking as she read John chapter four is a Samaritan's woman, the woman's inability to see Jesus as the Messiah. I mean, it gets so exasperated in this, this text that finally, uh, you know, Jesus says, there's a time coming when, uh, when it won't matter if you worship in a city or on a mountain it won't matter if you are uh, very far uh, from your family or very, very close. It won't matter the new age of the spirit and God's association with, with humanity. She essentially says, well, I've heard a Messiah can come and unlock that new era, but, you know, we'll see. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. The Samaritan's woman, woman's inability to see Jesus as the Messiah. She was hung up on, on culture. She constantly refers to this mountain. She's referring to Jacob. And in fact, the point of Jesus' mission is to bring the life of heaven to bear on earth. Was, was that 
uh, the, the mountains didn't really matter that much. And this isn't new uh, concept. Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, he was quite clear that heaven itself wasn't big enough for God, that a single building could not hope to house God, that holy buildings, holy mountains are at best signposts and not the real thing. He's essentially saying, you're getting hung up on sources that are no source at all. Or good things, things that point to uh, life, things that point to light, things that, that are pointing to what God is doing in humanity, but you've made those absolute things. And, and I have to ask, how much are we hung up on sources that are no source at all? How much are we hung up on things that maybe Jesus has ushered in, things that are at the heart of the kingdom of God, but ultimately with the absence of God himself. One of the things that I, I have, have frequently said is that the things that we are, 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 are pursuing and seeing in this world are the outworking of the kingdom of God, calls for, for justice, call, calls for, uh, for peace, pursuing uh, righteousness, all these things that come when the, the kingdom of God is inaugurated and the kingdom of God is, is in. And so if we long for the kingdom of God with somehow the king not sitting on the throne, we have committed a form of religious idolatry. How much are we hung up on sources that are no source at all? How much do we allow for culture or the dynamics of the Christian faith or the structure of the church or the function of the church blind us to the presence of Jesus to where we would say, as the woman at the well did, when the Messiah comes, then things will be set right. Blinded to the fact that we have been pursued by the living word himself. I think that we have a preference for sampling uh, over source, the very source. We have a, a preference for small portions, for a fix, something that will, will get us malnourished all bet through the week so that we can come to a space to receive something of the resurrection life. I think that many of us have a taste of the presence on Sunday or a snippet of prayer here and there, but we are not saturated in the life that was promised. And how can we as God's people thrive without the saturation and devotion to Jesus that he called us to? the place where he is found, the places that are so readily available but ultimately costly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once had said, when, when Christ calls someone, he bids them come and die. And make no mistake, coming to Jesus, that come as you are, everything is made available to you, uh, he's just not that hard to find, is so true but is so costly and some of us are just okay. Some of us, what am I talking about some of us? All of us. And how much has an off the notes, being honest with, uh, with you, how much of us have settled for complacency and for the margins and are just feeling spiritually dry and thin? The word says that we are to encourage one another daily, right? And there, that's truth. It's hard when we are not in the same space. It's hard when we cannot uh, hold the same hands, when we cannot pursue the same things, when we feel uh, a bit uh, stuck in, in a spiritual paralysis. I just want to call us to, to a source that is, that is delivers, right? So Jesus offers himself in places that are readily available and easy to find. The very word of God, intimacy and prayer, these are not just optional aspects of Christian life. They are critical foundations 
for not only endurance, enduring, but flourishing in that Christian life. So the key question in this passage is, where would you get this living water? Where is this found? How can we not only encounter, but sustain this truth? Well, one song that um, carried me through 2019, uh, 2019 was one of the hardest years of my life. And, you know, 2020 has been, been great. Um, but there's a song that carried me through it in uh, Highlands, or the Song of Ascent. I just wanted to read it for us, uh, read a little bit of scripture, and then, and then close in, in prayer. But it says, Oh, how high would I climb mountains if the mountains were where you hide? How far I would scale the valleys if you grace the other side? Oh, how long have I chased rivers from lowly seas to where they rise against the rush of grace descending from the source of its supply? Because in the highlands and the heartache, you're neither more nor less inclined. And I would search and stop at nothing, but you're just not that hard to find. Oh, how far beneath your glory does your kindness extend apart from where your feet rest on the sunrise to where you sweep the sinner's past. And how fast would you come running if just to shadow me through the night, trace my steps through all my failures, walk me out the other side. For who could dare ascend that mountain, the valid hill of Calvary, but for the one I call good shepherd, the one, uh, the lamb that was slain for me. So I'll praise you on the mountain. I'll praise you in the mountains of my way. You're the summit where my feet are. So I'll praise you in the valleys all the same. No less God in the shadows, no less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is in the highland and the heart, heartache all the same. I think about David who said, where can I run from your presence? It's not a matter of, of distance, it's a matter of the heart. I go to the highest of heights, the lowest of lows, there you are longing and waiting and offering something more than a snippet, offering me the fullness of life. At the festival, John chapter seven, Jesus stood and he shouted out to the crowds, many of which would shout back later, crucify him. Many of which would leave because he wasn't a performer, a magician, or a militant leader. He shouted, anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare the rivers of living water will flow from their heart. So Jesus calls us as we are, but he never leaves us as we are. Jesus always goes deeper. And without saturation of his presence, of his word, we can grow despondent and complacent and spiritually now malnourished. So consider this an invitation to drink from the word of the living God. He has pursued you, he delights over you, and he is amongst us in this day at this moment. May you go to him, cast your cares, cast your burdens, cast all the sore places and know that he weeps and he sits and he leads us uh, to not only life, but to light evermore. Let's pray. God, I pray for our community. Would you lead us now as we continue on uh, in this season and in this, uh, this service. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.